0: We welcome you this day, and we are so thankful for our freedom this morning, amen? Amen. The freedom to worship and the freedom to gather together, which I don't think any of us will take for granted again, Amen? Amen. amen? Amen. Let us pray together, and as we pray, I invite you to hold your hands in this way as we signify that we are waiting on the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. O Lord, send your Holy Spirit in this place, that as the Scriptures are read and proclaimed, you may shine light on them, that we may understand not just with our minds, but with our hearts and respond with our lives of joyful obedience. For this we pray in the name of the risen Christ, and let all God's people say, Amen, Amen. What does freedom look like for Christians? Captain Kimball had been away from home and his loving wife on a long, lonely three-year journey at sea. When he finally finished the long journey home, he stood on the humble doorstep of his own house, and as his wife came out, he grabbed her and gave her a long passionate kiss. I mean, who could blame him, right? However, Captain Kimball was then sentenced to spend two hours in a pillory, a wooden framework, you know, the kind with holes for your head and hands, where you can be publicly shamed before the whole community for your crime. And what was his convicted crime? Lewd and unseemly behavior. Lewd and unseemly behavior for kissing your wife after a long journey on your own doorstep. Welcome to 17th century New England. The New England colony, a land governed by the Puritans. One of the strangest paradoxes in American history is that these groups of people these European immigrants that came to the land to found a nation whose core value is freedom enacted some of the most repressive and draconian laws inhibiting personal freedom. Beginning in 1630, as many as 20,000 Puritans immigrated to America to gain the freedom to worship God as they chose. As a whole, they professed that they loved freedom, and yet they turned around and passed the craziest laws you can imagine. Laws that governed every area of your life, even their family relations. Laws even that governed the way people dressed. Although sometimes in this culture today, we might wish for a few of those. One law forbade the wearing of lace. The length and width of a lady's sleeve was decided by law. Now listen to what women were expected to wear by law in public. An undershirt, and over that a corset, and over that a long petticoat, and then over that a gown or waistcoat, fitted jacket and skirt. And these skirts had to literally drag the ground. Because everybody knows that a woman's ankle is a sign of the devil. (laughs) What a funny definition of freedom. Certainly very few people today would accept these kinds of restrictions to their personal freedom. But if rules and laws like the ones the Puritans had do not apply to us today as modern Christians in America... What rules and laws do apply to us? What is necessary for salvation? In other words, what does freedom look like for Christians? Now, the ancient Jews were no stranger to restrictive laws, laws that govern everything about your life. In fact, they had over 913 of these laws given to Moses that... that would have even made some of the 17th century Puritans gasp in horror. See, some children today would not survive to adulthood because if a child was stubborn or rebellious, anybody experienced that in your families? Under Jewish law, they could be stoned to death. Wow. And the early church struggled with which of these voluminous laws should apply to the new Christian movement. Saul, who we met a few weeks ago on the road to Damascus where he met Jesus in the blinding light and voice from heaven, had been renamed Paul. He, Barnabas, Philip, Peter, Silas, and many other apostles were having incredible success going out around the Mediterranean world reaching people with the gospel of Jesus. But they were reaching new people, non-Jews that were called Gentiles. And they were having incredible success making disciples of these Gentiles. Everywhere they went, they either planted churches or they built up churches, followers of Jesus. The Gentiles were even receiving the Holy Spirit, which was blowing the minds of the Jews because they all had been raised to believe they were the only chosen people of God. So this brought a dilemma in the early church. What was necessary for these new converts? What rules would these Gentile Christians have to follow? In other words, what does freedom look like for Christians? So let's hear about this now in the book of Acts as we continue our series Today, Acts 15, verses 1 through 29. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God Had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. In other words, those 913 laws. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, He has made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe, listen to this, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. The whole assembly kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, My brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take, them from, among, to take from among them a people for his name. This agrees with the words of the prophets as it is written. After this I will return and I will rebuild the dwelling of David which has fallen from its ruins. I will rebuild it and I will set it up so that all other people may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord who has been making these things known from long ago. Therefore I have reached the decision, that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God, but we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols and from fornication and from whatever has been strangled and from blood. For in every city for generations past, Moses has had those who proclaim him, for he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. So then the apostles and the elders with the consent of the whole church decided to choose men from among their members and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas and Silas, leaders among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the believers of Gentile origin in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that certain persons who have gone out from us, though with no instructions from us, have said things to disturb you and have unsettled your minds, we have decided unanimously to choose representatives and send them to you, along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the sake of the Lord our Jesus, Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to impose on you no further burden than these essentials, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. The word of God for the people of God. I love how they use the phrase certain individuals in this scripture. Certain individuals that took it upon themselves to go and disturb the minds and hearts of the believers. They were going around the early church saying, Unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. Well, what do you know? Gossip and rumors are nothing new in the church. They've been going on from the get-go, and that is because the church is made up of broken, flawed, real human beings. These individuals were not authorized to teach by the apostles, so their misinformation had to be corrected. Notice the way the early church digs into this very difficult debate. And they sit down and they're open and honest with each other. What a model for the church that we literally can talk about anything. We don't have to divide and separate. We can sit down together as mature believers and tackle anything through the power of the Holy Spirit. And they listened with open minds and hearts to the different perspectives, and then prayerfully they discerned together what God was calling the church to do. And what did they decide? they decided that one would not have to become a Jew and therefore get circumcised and follow all those 913 laws of Moses to become a Christian. This is what Jesus had promised in the upper room when he gathered his disciples right before he gave himself for us and for our salvation. He said, there's many other things I need to teach you, but you can't bear it now. But the Spirit of truth will come and will teach you all the things you need to know. That's one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit still today for us, to continue to teach us how to navigate our way in this crazy world and follow Jesus through all the twists and turns that we face. Notice that the church discerns God's will together through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what the early church discerned is very significant. They discerned, as Acts 16, 11 says, that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus. You see, the economy of salvation is not Judaism plus Jesus equals salvation. No. Jesus equals salvation. Salvation, period. Amen? It's funny that throughout the 2,000-year history of the church, the Puritans are not the only ones to inhibit personal freedom. Certain individuals, we'll use that phrase, throughout history have sought to add to what the Bible says is necessary for salvation. Notice that right after Jesus feeds the over 5,000 people, They come to him and they say, what work do we need to do? In other words, how are we to be saved? And Jesus gives a very clear answer. He says, this is the work to believe in the one whom the Father has sent. To believe in the one who the Father has sent. That is always our primary work, to believe in Jesus. And this word that is translated as believe here in the English, in the original Greek of the New Testament, is pastuo. And it, and it means to trust our lives to. So it's not just like believing a fact, but it means to literally trust our lives to Jesus. This is the work that we do. This is the primary rule that we follow. Jesus is the key to salvation. Why don't you turn to your neighbor now and say that. Jesus is the key to salvation. As we walk with him, he helps us discern our way. He guides us as a body, as the church. Circumcision was the old symbol for the Jews, the outward and visible sign of their inclusion in God's people. But now Jesus has instituted baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as the sign of the new covenant in Him. What does freedom look like for Christians? Like the Puritans, different Christian groups have made all kinds of rules through the ages. Certain individuals have made rules about everything you can imagine. Makeup and jewelry, playing cards on the Sabbath, dancing, drinking alcohol, even eating ice cream. That's right. There's some Christian groups who forbade the eating of ice cream. Wow. Can you imagine the 4th of July without ice cream? But as Paul left the council at Jerusalem and continued his mission. To the wider Roman Empire to make disciples of Jesus. He had one singular focus salvation through grace through Jesus Christ. That was it. That was his focus. Listen to what he said about all this later in Galatians 5 1. He said this For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again, to a yoke of slavery. Paul had to write this to the Christians in Galatia because they had a group that were called legalists who were confusing their mind, who were disturbing their soul, who focused more on man-made rules than on grace. For freedom Christ has set us free. But let us be aware of what Paul also said further on in Galatians. He said this, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become servants to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So if we wonder about what rules still apply to us, Paul's very clear. Love your neighbor as yourself. That sums up the whole of Christian rule. So what does freedom look like for Christians? It's not a bunch of silly rules about ice cream and the length of your sleeves. But it also is not about selfishness either. To some folks in our great nation, freedom just means the right to do whatever we want. But for Christians, it means something much deeper. Freedom from sin. Freedom from hopelessness. Freedom to worship what we're doing this morning. Freedom to serve God and others. Jesus doesn't measure our sleeves or prohibit us from eating ice cream. But He does lead us to love our neighbor. Freedom for Christians means we don't just follow a bunch of silly rules. Freedom for Christians means we don't have to earn our salvation. Christ has already done that. What does freedom look like for Christians? It looks like the opportunity to love God and love our neighbor. Thanks be to God for freedom in Christ.